Hi everyone, welcome to the Yam Podcast. My name is Nahal Hachbin and I'm super excited to welcome to today's guest, Zareen Modarai. I did not mention this in the podcast itself, but she is my sister-in-law's, Asya's sister. So we got two Modarais in the building. And in the episode, I actually make a little brief reference of their last name, Modarai, and I really absolutely love it because it means forbearance. And the way their family chose it, like back in the days in Iran when um, they didn't have last names and your last name was attached to your city, what they did was their family, this is a story that their father told me. So Papa Modarai, shout out to you, Berhuzjun. He told me that what they did was they ended up getting a fall from Hafez. So they basically pulled like a tarot card of Hafez. And in the poem, Modara, the word like forbearance like came up. And they were like, that's exactly what we want to be. <laughs> that's exactly what we want to represent ourselves as. And that's what they chose. So I love this last name like so much. And I love the fact that it's like now karmically bonded with my family name as well. So I'm super, super excited to welcome Zareen to the podcast. This podcast is a bit on the heavier side because what Zareen has been through is something that many actually women have been through but might not be willing to talk about. So the fact that I have her in my family it's a privilege for me to get to hear her story not only once but twice now on the podcast and the fact that she has been so generous and open to sharing it with everyone else i really hope that it will be of tremendous use for those listening here and please if anyone else is dealing with postpartum issues please send them this podcast if you think that it would be of any benefit to them especially for people in the united states so this short notice is to let you know that the yam podcast does have adult language so if you have any little ones around please put your headphones on now Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Yam Podcast. Today, we have a new episode for you with the, our very own Zareen Patton. Do you still have your maiden name with you? No, I changed it officially right before my first daughter was born. So you dropped the Modari. I did. It was I such did. A, it's a good name, man. I take a lot of pride in that name, even though I don't have it. But I'm associated with it by family. So, yeah. Today we're going to talk about, with Zareen, again, about motherhood and all good things and bad things <laughs> about it that come up. And, yeah, we usually start off the podcast with a sacred quote, a song, or anything that you would like to share about motherhood. So Zareen did prepare something, and I am so curious um, to hear what it is. Sure. Yeah, it's just a quote by a gentleman named George Townsend, who was an early Baha'i. I'm a member of the Baha'i faith. And it's about children and just enjoying your children and um, reminding parents to do that. So I'll read it now for you. It's a little long, but that's okay. While they are at your side, love these little ones to the utmost. Forget yourself, serve them care for them, lavish all your tenderness upon them, value your good fortune while it is with you, 
and let nothing of their babyhood go unprized. Not for long will you keep the happiness that now lies in your reach. You will not always walk in the sunshine with a little soft hand nestled in each of yours, nor hear their little feet pattering beside you and eager baby voices questioning and pattering off a thousand things with ceaseless excitement. Not always will you see that trusting face upturned to yours, feel those little arms about your neck and those tender lips pressed upon your cheek, nor will you have that tiny form to kneel beside you and murmur baby prayers into your ear. Love them and win their love and shower on them all the treasures of your heart. Fill up their days with happiness and share with them their mirth and innocent delights. Ere you are aware, it will be gone with all its gifts forever. Oh, God damn. Dude, <laughs> I'm like tearing. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I, I really, it really touched my heart. So I wanted to share Ooh, that. You got me, girl. You got me. Ah, I don't even have babies yet. And I'm like, cherish them. <laughs> I know I, my, my eldest is going to be six at the end of December. And then my youngest is almost three and a half. So it's, it, it goes by super fast. And so it's just a nice reminder to really not get caught up in the nitty gritty day-to-day things that you let these sweet moments pass you by because they really are gone so quickly. And it's pretty crazy. So I have a memory of us sitting on a couch in Vancouver and Zarin is one of these people that I, re- I have a very interesting relationship with her where I don't think I have this type of relationship with anyone else where I can sit with you in silence for a really long time and not say anything. And then suddenly out of nowhere, we'll begin talking. So this was a memory of when we were doing one of our silent retreats in the house. And I remember you just telling me, I can't wait to be a mom. That's all I want to be. It's like, I want to be a mom so bad. And I definitely resonated a lot with that, but I don't think I would ever say it in that way that you said it. I would never admit that's all I want to be or that's all I want to do is be a mom. And so I would like you to tell us what was it like your first time being a mother? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think so much of, at least currently in our world and I'm in North America. And so when we think about like feminism and I'm a huge proponent of that, and of course, equality of men and women and all of that champions of women's rights and justice, it feels almost like you're not supporting that if you voice, oh, like that's like truly what I want to do is raise little children and love them and care for them. I don't have this big aspiration to be some type of great career or profession or something like that. And I think the problem is the value that our society places on mothers is very low anyways, especially stay-at-home moms. And that's what I am. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I currently, at least with my two little kids. And so I think, yeah, voicing that is not common a lot, but I think 
a lot of people feel that way. At least I've met a lot of stay-at-home moms now recently and, and, or even working moms. Yeah. yeah, Who are just like, this is my highlight of my career life is getting to raise a new generation and watch them grow. And it's almost like you're discovering things for the first time along with, and you get to see this new fresh perspective, which is really cool. But yeah, my first, so my daughter, I have two daughters. My oldest one will be six at the end of December. And so that was December, 2015 is when she was born. So I was so excited, of course, to during my pregnancy and to, to be a mom and all that. We took a class, birthing class, like all, a lot of people do. And went through the basics of like birth and childbirth and all of that and, and stuff. But no one really, not even the midwives or people that I saw for my prenatal care, really talk about like the after of giving birth, like the real reality of it and stuff. So with my first child, I had a really hard time after giving birth to her almost immediately. So I gave birth at a birth center instead of a hospital. So if the birth goes well and everything's good, within six hours, you go home after giving birth. And then also like my mom had been with me for a month beforehand, helping me prepare and everything like that, like the house and nursery and all this stuff, right? So my dad was there too. And then a few days later, they left. I think it was almost like 24 hours later, they left to go back to their home, which was in a different state. And then almost immediately, my mother-in-law flew in and to meet the, the new baby. And it was just very, I was very overwhelmed and I wasn't feeling that, that imagined expectation of a new mom, like, immediate love and connection to my baby. And so my mother-in-law ended up calling my mom and she flew back and to be with me. And she ended up being with us for five months, a total of five months. She had been with us for a month and then she was with us for a couple more months and stuff because I ended up suffering really badly from a perinatal mood disorder, which is postpartum depression and anxiety. And a lot of people when um, talking about perinatal mood disorders, like they, they just say postpartum depression is like the term that you hear, but there's actually like a lot of different perinatal mood disorders that fall into postpartum depression. And so I don't know what the statistics are like worldwide, but I know that like nationally, one in seven will, women will suffer from a perinatal mood disorder, whether that's postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or postpartum PTSD or postpartum psychosis or postpartum OCD. So there's all these different disorders that can arise during pregnancy. They can arise as well. And also after giving birth, they can arise. Oh, wow. And so, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. During pregnancy. And like, there were some warning signs like reflecting on it during pregnancy. I'm not a typically like super anxious person, but like I was getting very anxious during pregnancy, mm -hmm. just about small things. Is the baby okay? Can I do this? Can I not? Because like you, like the internet's like your worst enemy. Like you'll just like Google doctor things and like research things. And it's just like terrible because 
the internet is not a doctor. But yeah, so I actually ended up going into the hospital twice after giving birth. So like it one was two weeks after got really bad. And I went to the emergency room. And I ended up staying just over overnight in the emergency room, you can't bring your baby. And I was in like the emergency room, like psych part of the emergency room. So it was like really terrifying. So I ended up just like wanting to leave and go home to be at home and with my baby like as soon as possible. So I just fudged all of the questions for the psychiatrist. Like, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, I'm totally fine now. Like, thanks. Like, thanks for the pills. I'm going to go home now. And so I, because it's just not like comfortable, like they give, especially as like a new mom trying to figure it all out, you don't have your baby, you're trying to breastfeed, they give you like this industrial size, like pump. And like, you're like, I don't know how to work this. And I'm having to work this. And what am I doing? And just plus all the other feelings and stuff. It was just pretty terrible. I just want to like pause right there to go back to be like, what was it that actually got you hospitalized in the first place? Like, what was happening to get you there? Yeah. So like, I was like, these postpartum mood disorders, they can hit people in different ways. And everyone always says like, oh, there's like the typical like baby blues, which lasts for like two, a couple days after you give birth or whatever. And then they like go away on their own. I don't know. I find that like a lot of people who say just the baby blues, like it lasted for like two weeks or more. So it was like something more than that, I think. Um, perhaps, I don't know. But for me, it was just like, feeling really like listless, like not being able to focus on things. I wasn't sleeping well and having like night terrors. And the biggest thing was I was having panic attacks about breastfeeding. Like no one really like tells you how to do it. Like before giving birth, it's just like, oh, it'll happen. And so you're like, oh my gosh, this is this tiny, fragile little bean. I've never fed this thing before. And it's supposed to sustain its life all from me. Am I doing this right? Am I keeping this thing alive? Like, how do I know? And then your husband's looking at you. You're the expert because you're the one that has the boobs. And you're just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm sleep deprived. My body hurts. And there's this fragile, tiny newborn that like, how do I know it's getting anything? I don't know. Oh yeah, if it has wet diapers, how wet of the wet diapers? And so all these little things that like start building up like my anxiety. And then it would be like, I'd nurse her and I'd have a panic attack and stuff. So that's like how part of it manifested. And like, also I was crying all the time and not really making a lot of sense. And the people there surrounding, they were trying to ask me questions, my family and support me. And, oh, do you feel like you're going to hurt yourself? Do you feel like this? Like all these questions that like, I'm sure they read off of line. That's what should I be asking? <laughs> yeah. Um, but in my, my state, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure. And so prompting that was like, okay, let's take her to the hospital to get a professional to evaluate her. But like, how that is in reality is that, okay, you're in like the random psych ward with just a curtain around you or a little bed. You can't bring anyone in there. You can't have a cell phone. You can't have anything dangerous. Like you're basically there. And in the next stall, there's like people actually screaming and you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> and so that was two weeks after 
after mm. giving birth. And so then I, I had an assigned hospital, like psychiatrist and psychologist that I was supposed to do like outpatient, like go and see, and they had me on different medicine, like antidepressants and different things like that, but trying to figure out the right dosage. So like during that next basically month and a half that I was like trying to figure this all out and still not getting better, I kept having panic attacks. I was suffering from insomnia. I was really mean to people, like the most terrible things. And I could hear myself saying them, but I couldn't stop myself, like literally. And I was just like, what is happening? And so it got to the point where it was like almost bordering on like postpartum psychosis, where it was like, I couldn't differentiate between like, my sleep self, my like waking nightmares, my panic attacks, and like, what was really happening. And got to the point, like the the breaking point was like, and like during all this time, not only did I have like my mom there, and of course, my husband, but also then like, for the first couple little while, like my mother in law, and then she left. And then a month later, and then like, then came my sister and brother-in-law, your brother. And then came my other in-laws, my husband's dad and stepmom. And so I kept having like all these other people, like trying to like get me out of this funk themselves. Mm-hmm. And they like, just, just get over it. Or not just not, not being that mean, but just being like, you can do it, Zarine. Come on. Nothing's. And it also manifested in like my conviction that something was wrong with my baby. That like something I was doing, like as a terrible mother, because I'm a terrible person, because that's how my mind was working, was making my baby like not thrive or something. And like, or no you were, one. You were the one who was actually a death detriment to your baby and that you had to pull yourself away from that. That's what I felt. That's what I felt. Reality was no, but it felt that way to me. And like, but also it was like, I felt that like something that only I knew was wrong with my daughter and no one Mm. else was listening to me. And everyone was Mm. thinking I'm crazy, but I'm not really crazy because I'm the mom. So I know what's happening, which was all of the, this disorder. Mm. And and really it was like this difference in hormones and chemicals and all this stuff that was happening to my brain that I just couldn't, like, I just wasn't making any sense. And it got to the point finally where like I was, thinking, okay, everything would be better if I wasn't around. So I was like contemplating suicide. And so that was where my husband was like, no, we need to get you into an inpatient like program. So luckily where we were living in UNC Chapel Hill area has one of the only two inpatient perinatal mood disorder facilities like wards in the whole country and so we live just like a mile and a half from the hospital so like my psychologist got us in there like same day in a bed and so what's nice about that facility is that you're not around other psychiatric patients it's only Mm -hmm. other patients who are suffering from a perinatal mood disorder and you're allowed to have your baby with you for mm. uh, four hours of the day. So that's mm. like not typical in other places and hospitals. That so. to me was by far. So the way I know Zarin's story was actually 
because for my final examination, for my integrative yoga therapy module, we were all supposed to create like a 10-week course on a specific type of disorder of our choice. Everyone picked theirs. Mine was postpartum depression because I, I knew I wanted to work with pregnant mothers. And there was no one I knew who had postpartum depression. And Zareen was the only one. And at that point, I don't even think I was confirmed that you had it. Or I don't think I knew how bad it was. And so that's when I interviewed you and I heard like your story in depth and where I got all these details. And by far, like one of the things that just stood out so much is the fact that you told me the statistics that in this, in the U S there are only two like inpatient wards with, can you mention there's only five beds. That's what yeah. I remember you telling me. Yeah, there was only five beds. And most of the other women in in the facility were from out of state because they didn't have that facility where they were. Um, and so, you yeah. It's, incredibly lucky to just yeah. even be able to get that kind of support. But not only that, was I so happy as a family member that you got that support and you were there, but then it just makes me think of all this like one in seven women who have these like mood disorders that they're literally not even at a place or know of that they could even get this support if it is as serious as something near border psychosis or anything like that. Yeah, they're all serious. It doesn't matter on the degree. It, exactly. It feels yeah. debilitating regardless of what how it manifests. And it can be. And I think in recent years, thanks to like social media and like celebrities mm. who are like sharing their stories, like postpartum depression and perinatal mood disorders have become, there's been more awareness about it in general is the general feeling. However, that awareness doesn't translate into actual like treatment. So even though there's more awareness and there's more screening of pregnant women now, like for potential for these mood disorders, there isn't an increase necessarily in like actually the women getting treatment um, that they mm -hmm. need. And, uh, and so there's also like 22, I think, facilities in the United States that are outpatient, like mother baby intensive perinatal mood disorder facilities, where it's you come together with your baby for the day, like to meet with other moms suffering from similar disorders yeah. and meet with like professionals and therapists and psychiatrists and stuff and really try to to work everything out and get better as a group, which I think is actually pretty amazing. And I always wonder, oh, if I had something like that as an option, it might've been earlier than like two and a half months after my daughter was born, me getting better if like immediately after that two week period, when I went to the emergency room, if I had been like placed in like an outpatient, like where I could bring my baby and meet other moms going through similar things, like with mm. professionals trained to counsel us and all of this, then like, it's always in the back of my mind, oh, maybe I would have gotten better sooner. But mm. at the same time, I'm very grateful and thankful for the fact that like, I did have the opportunity that I did. I was inpatient in the program, like for seven days, which is a relatively short amount of time for that they allow people to stay. But 
it was mostly like group therapy and individual therapy and meeting with a psychiatrist and getting the dosage. And then a lot of it was just like alone time. And like, so I spent a lot of it praying and meditating. I remember and like, you telling me that you went into the chapel and you yeah. were praying and then the priest would come and talk to you and then you would talk to him about the faith. And he was like, that yeah. was one of your... I remember you telling me that prayer was, I was like, what was your anchor? What was the thing that like helped grounded you? And you were like, I forgot which prayer it was, but you actually mentioned a specific prayer to me. Do you remember what it was? It was the long healing prayer. I said that a lot. And uh, it was very interesting because like chaplain would come around and say, does anybody want to go to the chapel and stuff? And like, no, none of the other <laughs> patients wanted to. But I was like, I will. I was like, but I'm not Christian. He's like, oh, it's interfaith. Like you can do whatever. I was like, okay. So I brought my prayer book. And I was in this like a really emotional, like also because of like the different medicines they were giving me and upping the dosage or lowering dosage. Like I was like extremely emotional. And so like I'd go on like highs, like emotional highs and then drop down emotional lows and stuff and so it's like is it okay what does that I, like, mean exactly what does that mean like an emotional high and emotional low so it's like, like one sure because just the one thing that I think that in general when people think about postpartum depression like it's one thing to have the awareness that women can go through it's a whole other level to know exactly what is happening break down what was actually going on in your mind in your body what that feels like for you or what was going on in your head and like what people would tell you that's not normal or what was normal of the experiences that you had and what was not like just that whole yeah so it was like first for like when they were adjusting the medication that I was taking it was like on a new dosage it was like oh everything's great. Everything's hunky-dory. Everything's great. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, this is fantastic. Oh, I'm just going to chat, chat, chat with all the attending nurses. So it was like, kind of like that. Like, I'm not that I'm I'm talkative, but I'm never like that peppy, peppy, peppy person stuff. And then like (laughs) for the lower one, it was just like, okay, I feel lethargic. I just kind of want to sleep and not really engage and stuff. Mm -hmm. But like, before the whole like inpatient stuff where they were trying to get the the dosages right and stuff, it was before I ended up there at the low point, like what was happening was like, I couldn't stop myself from crying. It was like mm-hmm. inside, there was a part of my brain that was like saying, Zarin, you are sounding insane. And then there was a bigger part of my brain that was like, ah, like not making any sense and mm-hmm. just like all of my fears and doubts and mm-hmm. anxieties were being like blasted constantly across like those like big like flashing neon lights like blasting constantly in my brain like you're a terrible person this and this and this that happened years ago <laughs> makes you an unfit mother and so you can mm-hmm. never ever be good enough for this baby or like all of this stuff like blasting in my head like going like cycling through yeah cycling through and then then even when I'm sleeping like having nightmares Mm -hmm. about like me being a terrible mother and then something terrible happening to my baby and it's like all Mm -hmm. my fault Mm -hmm. and then so waking up in the middle of the night like crying and like anxious and like having a panic attack and having to like rush to check on the baby like is she okay is she breathing like what's happening being like 
everyone else being like, hey, don't wake up the baby. She's fine. And you'd be like, but is she? Is she, <laughs> is she breathing? I don't know. So things like that, that it's just like beyond normal new mother, like anxiety to the point mm. where it's just not healthy. And mm. I wasn't able to sleep or get a moment's rest. The people around me weren't able to sleep or get yeah. a moment's rest. And then because, because they were I was watching over you watching over me, but most importantly, watching over the baby. And then me feeling resentment that they thought mm. I was going to hurt her some somehow mm. or whatever. And like that, like my biggest fear is just keeping her safe. And mm. then like also feeling like I'm not being trusted in my family and that no one's mm. believing me or understanding me. And so then me lashing out in like really mean things like that I would mm. say to like my husband mm. or my mom and stuff and being like, God, I would never say that normally. And me being able to hear myself saying that and being mm. like, stop it, but just coming out of my mm. mouth anyways. So like, that's like the craziness that ensued for those like two and a half months. Right? So it was just, yeah. I, and that's the thing is like, my personal experience is unique to me. Like it doesn't manifest this way for everybody or maybe mm. anybody else. I don't know, but it was super intense and traumatic for not just myself, but my husband mm. and for my mm. mom. There's history in my mom's family of mental disorders, especially with my grandmother and them suspecting that she was a misdiagnosed postpartum mm. depression, that she had postpartum depression, was was misdiagnosed, which exasperated mm. the issues for the rest of her life. And so Ooh. there was real fear there, like wow. from at least and this from was, my mom, like having me go to the inpatient and do something and the, like that. And this was her first grandchild. I just want to point yeah. that out. This was yeah. <laughs> and I'm and I'm the baby of the family. I'm the youngest. Yes. I had three older siblings. And so like um, the youngest having the first grandchild and then descending into this mental state of chaos is like very traumatic for everybody involved. But yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question about explaining? Definitely, definitely. (laughs) I I just remember the story of you telling me that you were over her standing over her crib and just you kept checking whether or not she was breathing or like you were just watching over your hover hovering over her and do you remember well, it was like part? like how our bed was set up is like our bed was attached to her crib so it was like open on one side so it was like side card to our so like her mattress was equal to our mattress and stuff so like she would sleep in her crib but like I'd like constantly be rolling over and it got to the point where my husband was like you have to sleep on the other side so that you're not constantly like disturbing her or even like I would go sleep with my mom so that like they could all get sleep and then just so yeah it's pretty intense but but yeah I got better I think it, it was it's quite a miracle actually that all of that intensity after those seven days inpatient, getting medication, getting sleep finally, like I was able to finally sleep mm-hmm. undisturbed and like my insomnia got under control. I kind of came, like made peace with the fact that maybe breastfeeding's not for me. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll just pump because I was pumping and sending milk home and I was doing that fine and that was okay. And being okay with that and then like also just getting one-on-one counseling and things like that and having a lot of time to myself to just pray and turn Mm. to God and rely on that aspect and like quiet my thoughts and my mind a little bit more like all of that combined 
that by the time that seven days were up and I went home and my husband picked me up and we drove into the driveway and we came home and my mom was with my daughter. Like I held her and she like nuzzled into my chest and I was like, I felt totally at peace. And I was like, well, I can try breastfeeding. I'm fine with that. And I like tried breastfeeding and I didn't have a panic attack ever again. And from that moment on, she stopped taking bottles and only breastfed and I never had another panic attack. So like, Mm -hmm. it's quite miraculous that that was my total like 180 turnaround from before, because I know that doesn't happen to a lot of people. Like Mm -hmm. it's always maybe still a challenge, but she nursed until she was two. And so it was just like, just, we were finally in sync, like Mm -hmm. she and I, and Also, I felt like just really at peace. It wasn't any pressure on me anymore. I like knew I was a good person and a good mom and in my own way. And that, what does that even mean? And so it's unique to each person and each situation and stuff. And so like a part of my therapy was like, during that seven days was like, I created like a, a mantra, like in my journaling of like affirmations of what to tell myself and doing like activities to help tell myself those things, practicing that. And then like through prayer kind of and meditation, practicing that as well. So mm. all of that combined, of course, with the medicine and getting the proper dose and everything really helped me. But a cool thing about all of that is that six months after I came out of that inpatient stay experience. Mm-hmm. experience. I was completely weaned off of all of the medication. Like I mm. wasn't taking it anymore. I didn't need mm. it. And mm. so a lot of people feel that if they start on antidepressants or mood stabilizers or things, it's a mm. lifelong commitment and it's going to be mm. part of their lives forever. And mm. I just wanted to say that I don't think that's always the case that mm. like, they can be little stepping stones to help you get to the point where you're more in tune and in balance with yourself and your mind and your thoughts and everything. But once you feel that peace with the help of a professional, slowly mm-hmm. weaning yourself off of the dosage can really then empower you to be like, I am okay, like totally mm-hmm. by myself. Um, so that was I just think- my experience. I think one thing that just really impacted me when you were telling me the story from before, but also today, again, the same thing. It's just so since I used to work in public health, I know all the statistics of how amazing breast milk is and how good it is for the baby and how important it is and for how long. And I spent a good number of time, like when I was studying medicine to actually teach women how to breastfeed like me without a child like this literally was my job but when you told me that it was one of your best decisions whilst you were in that program to decide not to breastfeed because of the pressure I with you was breathing a sigh of relief because it was just like if it is tormenting a mother just like literally her mind is like just being fractured by the thought of breastfeeding, then all of these benefits could really, because there will be no mother left for the baby. If she, if people keep on telling her how amazing the benefits of breast milk are. So I really wanted to just take a pause 
of that and really magnify what you just said because I think what you just said was so such gold that the fat when you decided to drop it and to take that pressure off of yourself and maybe even healthcare professionals like dropping it too and or in consultation with them you realize that, that was like the main trigger then for you to drop that and then to and then go home and then to still be able to breastfeed i think that is just that is something that really we must like take into account is like the amount of pressure we give ourselves expectations we put on ourselves to fulfill certain things that we think a good mother can or should do yeah i just really think that that would be like so such so huge because i know even within our family like just that decision of yours had impacts on my sister-in-law which we will talk about probably later as well as in me and her we'll talk about um but I want you to tell me a little bit more about this program, like the seven-day program. What was it like, literally? What was the program like? What was it that made it a program? Did they make you wake up at a certain time? Did they, yeah. And Or tell me about the group therapy and the personal therapy. Like, I want to hear it all. Okay, yeah. It was in a hospital. So I don't know if you're familiar, but like UNC, Chapel Hill is a, like, a learning hospital, right? So there's a university and a hospital and stuff. It was in a section of this the psych ward, but like at a different hall, basically, like its own little mm-hmm. ward. And so going there, I didn't want to go. I was in tears. I felt mm-hmm. like a prisoner. Like I felt mm-hmm. like I was going to jail. Like I felt like I was a mm-hmm. terrible person mm-hmm. and I was going to jail because it's a locked door still, even though it's like a bit Ooh. of a nicer thing like it's still a big locked door and then the Mm. whole ward and you can't go out until Mm. you're done with the program and stuff or unless you're accompanied by like an attending nurse or something like Mm. that or like the chaplain and a nurse and so I literally was like I I feel like I'm in prison because I'm a terrible mom I feel like this is my consequence my punishment for being for having this illness and Mm. being so terrible of a person Mm. right I like it got to the point where it's like by the time like I was being dropped off it was like more so than just like being a terrible mom I feel like now I'm a terrible person because I'm like in this program and I think that has a lot to do with stigma around like Mm. mental health Mm. and the expectations personally I put on myself to be perfect at this or that, or like excel Mm. at this or that, or be Mm. the best person I can be ultimately kind to everyone, even Mm. myself and at all times, at all times (laughs) and like apologetic and all these things. And so I think just all of that combined, like by the time I was my mom and my husband, like dropped me off. And of course they had the baby, like and stuff I was just like I am terrible and it was really interesting there was another patient there who saw me being like admitted and dropped off and tears and like my face and everything Mm. and she just came and she gave me a hug and she said everything's gonna be okay I felt the exact same way I think you're feeling now and I'm going home soon to see my baby and I'm I'm feeling great and so like that oh wow for that stranger doing that act of like solidarity and like compassion 
That's huge. Really was huge to me in that moment because I felt like I didn't deserve it. Like I Mm. felt like I didn't deserve that. Angels like really is almost like they save your life. They really do. It's so true. And so from that moment on, I resolved myself to try, to at least try. I'm going to try just so that I can like get to that point. It was very inspiring to hear that she was at a different point than me and like to see that and stuff. And so it's not like she was crazy. Like, it's not like you looked at her and you were like, bitch, you're crazy too. You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, no. And so I was like, okay, that was like my small little spark of hope that like something could change and get better. And so then from that point on, what was really nice is that I got my own room. Some of them were like shared rooms, but I got yeah. my own room. So I got my own space and That's I had my crazy. own bathroom and my own like personal pump and stuff like for breast pump and things. And I just waking up, we, there was breakfast at a certain time. They didn't make, they didn't, people didn't wake you up, but you knew there was breakfast at a certain time and you were supposed to show up and, and see that you, because some postpartum depression or perinatal mood disorder, especially when pregnant, manifests in sometimes eating disorders and things mm. of anxiety. So yes. making sure that you're eating and stuff. And so- you get like a specific type of nutrition or was it like garbage hospital food again? So it was kind of garbage hospital food, but you had like okay. a menu that you could order from and stuff. Ooh. And like you were supposed to, tick off a fruit, a protein, something like that. Right. Um, So they give you options, but yeah, guide at the same time. Yeah. So the the first few days, like I really was all over the place still emotionally. Actually, Um, I want to, sorry, I just want to, what did you eat? I I don't know why I'm really interested in this. Can't even remember. I think I ordered a lot of like vanilla Greek yogurt and like Uh fruit and oatmeal. Because mm-hmm. I was still doing like the gluten-free stuff, like with my diet and everything. I still am. And I just stayed away from like the pancakes and waffles and things like mm-hmm. that. And then I was like, I always had a banana and sometimes like just a banana and yogurt and peanut butter and stuff. I wasn't always super hungry. And I never am really super hungry in the morning. But, and then like you could order something fun for lunch. And it was really funny is that like my my mom and my husband would bring our daughter from lunch till four o'clock. So it was like four hours. And, and my husband was always way more enthusiastic about like, ordering lunch for me than I was. <laughs> and so like, I'd like let him choose whatever he wanted and like, oh, an extra pudding cup and like just give it to him and stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah. So like, in the mornings we would have kind of like recreational like group therapy it was like an arts and craft like kind of thing where after breakfast like a recreational therapist would do an art and craft with us like one was like making like bead bracelets and like one was Mm. making a picture frame and one was making like a journal timeline of our future like our hopes and dreams like what we want and then we would Mm. talk about it afterwards and, and stuff as a group and share and and things and then after lunch we would have and like visitation time and stuff we would have like individual therapy with like the psychiatrist and the psychologist and like a team of like a few of the nurses and but just in your own room and talk about how are you feeling and everything and like the first few days I would just say the same thing over and over again I shouldn't be here I should be in jail because I'm so terrible like I'm a terrible person I just like 
I would be journaling and I'd list mm-hmm. off, I just read them like my random rambling thoughts and they'd be like, mm-hmm. it's okay, you're good. And they just give me affirmations and then like mm-hmm. up my dosage and things that, <laughs> that works better and stuff. And then there was one night, I think it was like the third or fourth night that like always going to like before I would go to sleep, like I had one of my daughter's like baby blankets that like, like swaddle blankets that like mm-hmm. they, my mom gave me like just smelled like her and stuff. And like I'd sleep with that. And like, I, I would have this like mantra in my head, like for the longest time, ever since she was born, like saying a prayer for her for protection. Oh God, please like, heal any sickness that she has or anything like that. But like that, that fourth or third or fourth night, it was more like, she's fine. Everything's fine thank you god like like mm. mantra that like I, that was like the first like click of oh zarine you're back like you're mm. you're recognizing that and wait a minute i feel like i just wanted to like pause there and say like, you were going through psychosis and you still remembered to pause and to say a prayer for protection for your daughter, even when you were going through hell. Can I just like magnify that and be like, that is what a mother does already. And I like how you're like, on the third day I was normal. Of course (laughs) you you have your own inner thing, but I just wanted to like, that to me is amazing how you could be going through your own version of hell, never ever messing up on that portion of like unconditional love that a mother has for her child and this is like undeniable that even in this situation you still had the energy or the even memory to even do this that's like amazing that's like insane I don't know like to me it was just like even throughout all of it like that was like before I was even in the inpatient stuff like that was just like I said like prayer was like my anchor with um reality like like through all of it because it was like I I couldn't trust my own thoughts I couldn't I felt like I couldn't mm-hmm. trust my family or yeah. myself or anything mm-hmm. but like, I know I can trust God and I know mm-hmm. I can trust like these writings and these prayers because they're like tangible things I can read and say that aren't coming just from my own craziness or my own warped perception and so, yeah like I think I've never prayed as much as I ever like in my whole Mm. life as much as I did in those months because it was like all I like had I Mm. felt like that's all I had that was like some type of reality which is funny because it's just like spiritual reality but not necessarily my like physical like material reality but we know how like healing isn't just physical it's like emotional it's spiritual it's all of mental all of it and that really was my experience I think like through all of this and reflecting upon that and stuff. Yeah. So that was basically my day. And I, w- I would always like throughout the day take pumping breaks. So like I would pump and fill up these like little tubes and things and they put it in the fridge at the front desk. And then like in the evening, my husband and my mom would take them home. And so like, we had a huge supply of breast milk like in our freezer <laughs> like for a while afterwards because of that, because I was just pumping so much like to fill the, the dead hours like in between mm. and stuff. Cause, like, I also wanted to keep up like a pumping schedule like that was similar to a on-demand feeding schedule sort mm. of thing that a lot of babies do and stuff. But 
but yeah, and it was very interesting because like I would, as I was pumping in these different times, I would be saying that hidden word that I, I would memorize about like mother, like mother's milk and like the words of God and, and everything like that. And so I always say that as well with those sessions and things. And I try to use any time available to me that wasn't taken up with like group therapy or eating or individual therapy or any yoga we did yoga tell us more yeah. about the yoga and the group therapy so the group therapy was like the recreational therapy like we do a craft and then we talk about it together and we talk about different things and then like for the yoga there was really interesting it was a guided meditation and stuff. And one really interesting thing was that she had us laid down in like Vanasana and, but she had heated towels, like big mm -hmm. towels that she actually swaddled us in like a baby, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. we swaddle babies. And so it was very interesting. Like I'd never done yoga like that before. Very interesting experience. But um, I remember when you were telling me that you were like, that was the most healing thing. Like when she swaddled you and that wrapped your hips. And yeah. literally after um, birth, like your hips are loose and, and that wrapping of the hips was just so comforting to you. I cannot yeah. tell you that like seared into my mind and you have no idea. I go around asking my, my clients, like, can I swaddle you? It's like the <laughs> weirdest thing. And they're not <laughs> pregnant. They haven't met. That just was like, because you told me it was such a comfort to you. I'm like, I need to swaddle <laughs> all of my students. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very interesting experience, but it was also, yeah, very healing and comforting. It was very comforting experience. Comforting. It like it felt like a hug. And exactly. I felt like for those being like life and death for you when you're at that stage and you're like, yeah, because like for those few months, like people wanted, like my family wanted to hug me, but I was rigid and mm -hmm. I didn't want hugs and like, I wasn't responsive to them. But also it got to the point because it felt like it was lasting so long. Like, why isn't mm. it getting better? Like, mm. where they were just like so frustrated with me. And like, I totally understand. It was stressful for everybody. Mm. But it was like, I want to get better, but I can't. I just Not. can't yeah. seem to be better. Like, I'm trying, but it doesn't seem like I am. But I am so yeah that pressure so like that like swaddle was almost like, because it was also a guided kind of like meditation so mm. like having us like breathe but also say like affirmations and things about mm. ourselves so it's kind of like what? swaddle was like like i like personal to you you can say whatever you want but like, i am a good mother mm. i'm the best mother for my baby mm. i am a good person i will get through this this is just an illness, just mm. like breaking an arm or something. It, it can mm. heal. I can heal. I can get better. I'm safe. All these different things like that. And so saying that, doing the breathing and then being swaddled was almost like you're giving yourself a hug. And I think to me, that was really mm. significant in my healing because I didn't mm. trust myself. Like I kept, mm. kept feeling like I don't trust myself. I don't trust what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, um, what I'm even seeing and saying, but also mm. it's like, I don't trust my abilities. I don't, mm. I've lost my self-confidence in 
being a capable just person, but also like mom to this little tiny fragile human being. And so like reclaiming that a little bit and getting that back, like that first step, I think was like really integral in moving forward and coming and being by the time I was like done with the inpatient program and being at peace with like breastfeed, not breastfeed, doesn't matter. I'm okay. My daughter's okay okay. with myself. Yeah. I'm okay with myself. She's being fed for these seven mm-hmm. days without me. Just and with, she's still with, alive. And she's still alive. <laughs> and she's doing great. And I was able to mm. finally, like, at those visits, recognize my daughter mm. for who she was, a healthy, mm. thriving little yeah. girl. And so that was a huge, like, epiphany for me. Wow. Mm-hmm. She is okay. And I've helped that because she's she's living off of my breast milk, not mm. by breastfeeding, but through all of the milk I'm sending home and mm. stuff. But even before that, we had all of my anxiety before ending up in the hospital. Like I would be like, I'm done breastfeeding. I'm just going to pump. I'm done pumping. I'm just going to give her formula. And she's such a cool baby. She was like, I'm fine breastfeeding. I'm fine with breast milk from a bottle. I'm fine with formula. I'm just <laughs> fine. I just like I to just- eat. <laughs> Yeah. So it was definitely being able to reflect on that. It's like, that's all, it's all me. It's all me. Nothing mm. was wrong with my daughter. It was all me just projecting and not wanting to really own up to this big, scary thing that was happening to me that I wasn't in mm. control. Of. So but I think yeah, just like that whole, just taking that little respite, like those seven days, it's, it's, it's funny how like, you didn't say that it was the meds that helped heal you. You didn't say it was the doctors. Like you were saying that like, it was the self-love that was like the hug that I needed to give myself because I was like literally internally like whipping myself for everything I did wrong. And I thought I was the issue. And once you got that sorted, the baby was like resilient and was just like, being able to thrive and once you at least this is my perspective I don't know if you feel the same way is that when you got yourself sorted out you were able to recognize all of that that you were good she was good all was good and that the center of all this really had to do with going just back with you and your relationship with yourself and like making sure that that relationship with yourself, journaling, praying, which are all aspects to trail you back to your original self, that side of your brain that was saying you're insane in the good sense, where it was like saying that everything's okay, you're being ridiculous, like you're being overdramatic about these things. But like once that side of yourself like strengthened, I don't even think the other side probably disappeared, but it just, it lessened in its effect for you so Mm -hmm. it was really just like a strength or muscle building of that intuition of that relationship with God of going back and like almost trailing yourselves back to yourself and once that was good and strong then everything like went into place yeah yeah I think so and I think it's a process for each individual person and it manifests in different ways and I, I think that so much of the focus when we talk about like new moms or pregnancy, like pregnant women get so 
much care, like so much care. Like we go and we see our, our, whether it's our doctor or our midwife or whoever, multiple times, people open the door for you. People are so loving. People are, oh, you look beautiful. You look great. Oh, let me give you this advice on birth and this and this, but no one ever really focuses on the mom afterwards. And so much of um, becoming a mom mm. is losing yourself. And so you're not really prepared for that. Mm. You're, you're excited for this like new little baby and you want to see it and meet it and see all his personality mm. and how it looks and this and that. But you don't necessarily get prepared for the fact that like, one, you're not going to see your doctor as much as you did before, maybe mm. once or twice afterwards. It's all then the focus is shifted to the baby. Mm. and not so much to you anymore and mm. then also like you lose your autonomy like mm. when you had the baby even when you're pregnant and the baby was inside you your baby ate whatever you ate your baby walked wherever you walked watched whatever you watched slept whenever like you slept it was there you didn't really have to think about it too much but then you're still doing your thing sometimes still working or, or whatever but once once you have the baby, once it's in the the physical world and not so much the womb world anymore, you have to change too. And that preparation sometimes is traumatic and sudden, mm -hmm. like that switch, right? Of mm -hmm. that like, now I have to actively, without just passively eating myself, but like actively keep this baby alive that's all on me. I'm the one that's keeping a little tiny creature alive. I have to also like somehow know all of these things while I'm not getting any sleep. And then also like my body's just been through the most traumatic event mm. of my life. Like mm -hmm. I've literally pushed like, like an eight pound thing out of me. And mm. in some women, it's even more traumatic. They get C-sections mm. or, or other things that they have to heal from. Mm. And, and immediately, you're expected to not only heal, but keep this baby, see mm. people and let them see your baby, like mm. be okay. And maybe in a few months or even sometimes some women only in a few weeks go back to work after this big event and feel okay and just move on with life. But so much of you is no longer there. Your whole world is revolving around another thing, another little creature, but the rest of the world is still revolving around themselves and their own things. And so mm -hmm. you're then isolated from that. And I think like we don't, as a society, prepare expectant moms enough for that reality. And then we don't come together as a community. There's this perception, at least in North America, that like new parents want to be like this cozy little insular like nest and like, don't bother them, don't bother them. But for me, I don't know, it might be different for everybody else. But for me, I would love to be bothered and have other moms come and tell me what come and tell me this is what you do. This is what you like, you're doing great or whatever, like all this stuff or just spend time with your baby. And luckily I had that with my mom being there and then all this other family coming. And that was great. Unfortunately, I 
couldn't recognize those things because of my perinatal mood disorder and my anxiety and stuff. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of moms who don't experience that, they, they still don't have that support right there, that community support and feeling Mm -hmm. and stuff. So like, I just, I really think that we could do better as a whole society with supporting new moms in those first few months. And even the medical community could do better. Not so much because like you immediately have a one week checkup for your baby, a this, this checkup for your baby, a month checkup for your baby, all these things, so many checkups for your baby, but only a six week postpartum checkup for the mom. So it's so just, what would, yeah, like, I, I just think it could be a lot better. What would you tell a mom who's going through postpartum mood disorders of any kind? Not that you would know all of their situations, but what would you tell someone who's going through that? First, I don't know. I would just listen. I don't think I'd tell them anything. I just try to listen to what they're feeling, how they're, what they're saying, what they want to mm-hmm. share. And then based on that, help them find the resources they need in order to start their healing journey, because it does get better and it can get better. And also just reassure them that they're not alone in these feelings, that these, while not typically normal, are not as abnormal as they think. There's many mm-hmm. more women who have these similar feelings, these similar mm-hmm. thoughts, these similar problems, then there aren't. There's a lot more out there. It's just harder to hear that sometimes. And for me, it was really hard to even hear that I had postpartum depression. I was Mm. like, no, no, something else is wrong with me. There's something else (laughs) going on. I don't want to be associated with depression, right? Mm. But like so many people outside of perinatal mood disorders suffer from depression. Mm. And I think it's not something that you have to live with. It's something that can be healed. It just takes time for different people. And there's no deadline. I think that's Mm. the thing. There's no deadline for getting better. It's all conditional on your own personal life and journey and what it Mm. takes for you. So that's a lot of things to say, but I think it would start with listening because Mm. I think at least for me personally, I really didn't feel listened to a lot Mm. of the time while I was in it, mostly because what I was saying was utter nonsense, but (laughs) I still didn't feel really listened to. Yeah. But interesting enough, I'm fine. My daughter's fine. And I also have another daughter Mm. and a younger daughter. And we were, my husband and I were very conscious and aware that it's more likely if you've already had postpartum depression, that you'll have it again in a mm. consecutive pres- a pregnancy. And before that was not getting the case for you. No, but so before getting pregnant a second time, I actually sought out my own because I didn't really mesh very well with the hospital appointed psychologist. I just never felt really comfortable with her or heard or listened. And I think it was because like the majority of my experiences with her were while I was like in the throes of Mm. the disorder. And so I also had like really bad association and memories with going to UNC and going to the psych department and going to that particular ward area and stuff. I didn't want to like really associate with that again. So I sought out my own personal therapist 
in preparation for getting pregnant again with my second daughter. And I started going to see her and bringing along my toddler. She was very, like she had toys in her office. And so that was her area of expertise was working with women who are suffering or have suffered from perinatal mood disorders. And I clicked with her immediately. Like we really met. She was the mom of a young little boy. And she just was a great listener. Like she, some people are just like passive listeners, but she was like an active listener where like you could tell she was hearing and like internalizing and listening and validating you without even saying a word, which is very unique, I think. And so I started seeing her before I got pregnant. So she could see what I'm like without any extra hormones and things like that, like my normal base level and continued throughout my second pregnancy and saw her up until I think week 34 or five or something like that of my pregnancy. And she was like, by that point, I have no fear that you're going to have another episode of postpartum depression. Like we worked through so much of my guilt, so Mm. much of my feelings of like all of that, like difficulties associated with that episode of feeling guilty of not enjoying the newborn period with my first daughter and and everything like that not being with her, like all of that. We worked Mm. through it all and got to some really great like places. And Mm. then I saw her a few times as well after giving birth to my second daughter, following up and everything was good. And and then I moved after my daughter was two weeks old. So like the second daughter, so didn't see her again. But funnily enough, like, it's very interesting. Like, I think because I've been so willing to talk about my experience, a lot of my friends who have had kids since then and have experienced some type of perinatal mood disorder in that area of North Carolina have reached out to me and I've referred them to this therapist. So she's now seeing so many of my friends, which is pretty (laughs) cool. But like just in that fact in itself, like Mm. really showcases how prevalent it is for moms. It it doesn't have to be new first time moms. It can be second time moms or third time moms or fourth time moms. It can manifest at any point. It it can Mm -hmm. manifest from during pregnancy to a whole year after giving birth to your Mm -hmm. child's first birthday. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. um, it's not just an immediate after giving birth thing what happened with me, but that's not the case with everybody else. Oh, I think this conversation is going to help so many people that I'm so excited to just, I really think that it's going to help so many people. And I think when they listen to it, they'll identify certain things with it and really feel the comfort or at least just knowledge even if it's someone who's not going through it someone who's who has a friend going through it like just even the details that you shared I think will help give them a glimpse of what could possibly be going on in their own minds when something like that happens to know like how to support like their friend or whatnot so yeah in each of our episodes we actually have a blog about it and at the blog there's a little bit of a summary of what we talked about. 
And also there's a place where you can join us in the comment section to share your own story if you'd like. So if you would like to share your own story at any point in time, just go into the comments and actually just put a hashtag, the timestamp of what you heard, and you can comment on it on the timestamp of like when you heard something and what you were specifically responding to. But yeah, we really hope that this episode brought you some comfort, brought you some understanding or enlightened you in some way. And I guess we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast with Zareen. She shared so many resources with me afterwards. And she was like, oh my God, I think people would benefit so much from knowing where the therapist was that she went to or the hospital that she went to and just any other information about postpartum health. So do check out the show notes and also the blog where you can read a lot more about postpartum depression or mood disorders in the United States and where you can seek help if you need it. So that resource is there for you all. Please, please, please do share this podcast, this particular podcast with anyone that you know who might need to hear this or who might be going through it, but doesn't know if there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think the more stories that we share of this nature, it will just help to uplift those who are suffering, but also those who are confused and just don't know that they're in it, that, oh, maybe this is what I'm, what's happening, or maybe this is what I'm suffering from, to be like, oh, okay, I need to get help because this is normal and, but yo, I need to seek some professional help here because this is not just my own mind that's happening. So I really, really, hope that this would touch someone in need out there i love you if that's you please join us in the comments in the blog section and let us know if there's anything we can do to assist you along in this journey we send our love to you and we will see you in the next episode